Make sure this thing is on. All right, how is everybody today? Man, I am excited to be here. I'm excited to call you the Crossroads family now. Uh, I, <laughs> I've had so many people walk up to me and go, why did you lie to me all those times I asked you if you were coming? I promise you, I was not lying. We were looking for someone that could possibly turn our ministry over in California. But we are so excited. I, and my prayer is that God will richly bless our time together over the years. I want us to grow together in love for one another, to, to grow together in love for our neighborhood and for the Lord. And I want to tell you that I am a firm believer, and I can back this up with Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, that we are not called to endure life. We are called to enjoy life. As God's people, as children of God, as, as joint heirs, God and Jesus himself, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We are called to enjoy life not endure life. And I want to make it a, a, just a big part of my ministry to, to help perpetuate that. Also, it's 4th of July. Happy 4th of July, guys. God bless. I mean, I mean, if you've done any traveling, man, it is just amazing that, that by the grace of God, we're here. By the grace of God, he is, he, we are just so blessed. We did nothing to deserve this, but I just want to say happy 4th of July and thank God for where we get to live, the freedom we have, and the things that we get to do. It is absolutely amazing. Well, let me pray and we'll get started this morning. Father, it's, it's never anything that I have to say, God. It's, it's completely the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would speak through your word this morning. I pray that your word would help us to grasp what you want us to do. Father, we live for you. We, we need to be dying to serve, to love you, to worship you, to praise you. Holy Spirit, come, speak. Open our ears to hear, our eyes, God, to see, and our hearts to feel and to understand. We just love you and worship and praise you. And God, thank you. Thank you so much for Crossroads and for these people. In Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, as often, I want to start with a question this morning. Are you personally, you personally living and leading in the world around you? You personally. Is your neighborhood a better place because you're in it? Think about that for a second. Is this a better church because you're here? Are you living up to your full potential as a leader in God's kingdom? Proverbs chapter 22 says this, choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. I love that. To be held in high esteem is better than being rich. To, re to be regarded as significant, to be great is better than silver and gold. Well, we talked about the word significant a while back when I, when I spoke about love. It means to be sufficiently great or important. To be significant means to be great or important or worthy of attention, to be noteworthy. Am I significant? Am I living up to God's potential? That's one of those reflective questions that can keep you up at night. It, it can burden your heart. How, how significant am I? Are there those around me who would hold me in high esteem because of my actions toward them? The very first time I worked on this message, I was in a coffee shop, and, and I asked a girl sitting near me how significant she was. I said, let me ask you a question. How significant 
are you? She gave me a really odd look, like, I, you know, that's a weird question. And, but she said, she was a Christian, so she said, I'm a daughter of the king. I told her, I'm not asking how valuable you are. I'm not asking how popular, popular you are or if your latest update on Instagram got 200 likes or on Facebook. I actually had a girl one time tell me that if I don't get 100 likes in one hour on a post, I delete it. I've never got 100 likes on anything. Anybody else with me? Ever. I wasn't asking how many people follow your story on Snapchat. I'm asking how significant are you? Does God, do God and those around you hold you in high esteem? What difference are you making in the world? I wasn't asking her and I'm not asking you and I'm not asking me if we're valuable. I know that we are. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can... Let me read that again. We can do the things he planned for us long ago. God has a purpose for you. There is a point for your existence, and you can accomplish it. Accomplish it, but the question is, are you living up to that point? Are you and I living and leading in the world around us? Because we can. I can almost understand how God feels about me, and I think we can achieve it because there are people in our life, we're created in God's image, and we, there are people in our lives that we love Almost as much as God loves us. We can understand this deep love. There are people in my life that when they walk through the door, I hear their voice on the phone. Man, I just light up. I'm just overcome. My daughter calls me every day on the way to work. Man, she's on her way into Starbucks, and she'll call me up and say, what you doing, Daddy? And I'll say, you must be on your way to work. I got that, you know, five, ten-minute phone call from her every day. What you doing, Daddy? Or when my son walks through the door from college or work, just seeing him brings me great joy. Or when my wife says, hey, why don't we go to a movie tonight? You know what's great about my wife? She loves action-packed movies. On our last date, we actually went to see The Fate of the Furious. Anybody see that movie? Great movie. One of the best ones. I love it. I love it. And my wife loves action-packed movies. You know what? That's how God feels about you and me. And I was literally lying in the hotel room last night. Trying to fathom that. Wait, God, wait, wait. You love me as much as I love my son? I mean, I love hearing my son's voice. I love seeing my son's face. I love, you know, we DVR different shows. And I'll wait patiently for him to have a free moment to watch those shows with me. And God is like, I love you, Rick, that much. I mean, if you could honestly attain to that, stop the self-condemnation, stop the self-hatred, stop the lying voices, and just realize, man, I am loved. There is a God who can't wait for me to walk into the room. There is a God who absolutely adores you. Do you know that he adores you? That's amazing. And he does, whether you believe it or not. But you know what? We can be valuable without being significant. We can be present without making a difference. I mean, sometimes, sometimes our presence can almost even be a hindrance or, a, or an absence of joy. I was at a place, I went to a place a couple nights ago. I'd never heard of this place. I think it's called Zaxby's. Um, and, and, and they have a drive-thru where you can get chicken wings. I mean, it was like Evansville is now heaven. You know, it's like Disneyland. I mean, a drive-thru where I can get chicken wings. So I, I go to this place, right? And I, and, I, and I actually parked and I went inside and I ordered my food and, 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 and they had fried mushrooms on the menu. And remember, I'm just one fried item away from Jesus. So, 
So it's really exciting. Last time I preached that, a, a group of ladies from your church brought me an onion ring. I don't, I don't know what that was supposed to mean. Go, go to Jesus. Go walk towards the light, Rick. But I, I go in and I didn't get the, the mushrooms, the fried mushrooms, but I'm, I'm, I walk over and there's this older gentleman. He's sitting with his wife and I'm like, hey, are those fried mushrooms good? And he goes, I've had better. I was like, oh, all right. And I was like, all right. I'm like, well, they look good. And he goes, I don't like being forced to buy things I don't want. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go wait outside. You know, I mean, don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. I mean, literally, I stood outside and I was on the phone actually with my daughter. And I was thinking, watching him, and I was thinking how miserable this guy is. But he doesn't have to be. One to smile on his face, just eat, eat. How can you eat fried mushrooms and not be happy? I don't care where you're at. Fried mushrooms are a pick-me-up. Remember that if you see me in a restaurant, you want to get me an order of fried mushrooms? I mean, I was just like, but he was just so miserable. And I wanted to walk up to him and go, dude, you don't have to be that way. You don't light up a room. You dim a room. You bring pain to a room. That's not what we're called. I mean, people do that, don't they? I was literally, I was, in a, I was in an airport. I was on a plane one time. And you know the seating arrangements of plane. One seat's a little ahead. But whoever's ahead of you gets to go first. That's just courtesy. You, no matter if they're bundling for the bag, whatever, you got to wait for them. Well, my son, his, honestly, my son and my wife are the two nicest people. Unbelievable nice. And my son is waiting for this lady. And she said, just go. And I said, okay. So my son walked out. And I, I followed him. And this lady came off the plane. I'm not lying to you. She grabbed my shoulder. She turned me around. She said, your son is the rudest human being in the world. I'm like, excuse me? And she said, I can't believe it. And he said, ma'am, I waited for you. And she kept going on. And I felt it was my job before God to do this. So I said, ma'am, I have to tell you something. She said, what's that? I said, you're a horrible human being. <laughs> she said, what? I said, you're just not nice. You bring misery. I said, I bet, I, I said, I bet you go to church and nobody likes you, but nobody will tell you. I really did. I told her that. <laughs> and I felt, yes, I felt like that was God's message to her because nobody had told her. You know, I bet people are thinking, I mean, if I had said it in front of the church, everybody else would have applauded. Because we can be present and not only be a blessing, we can literally be a cursing, can't we? That's not what we're called to do. In order to be significant, there has to be someone or some group in your world, in your neighborhood, in your office, in your school that you are impacting. What reason are you giving your neighbors to thank God that you live on that block? I mean, by, by the way, I preached this message once at a church, and the pastor asked me to never come back. So please do not get offended. I'm, I'm not lying. It's a true story. I think you were talking about me and my wife. Was I? <laughs> I wasn't, but now. I hope my honesty doesn't offend you guys over the next few years. <laughs> Ponder this question for just a second, will you? Just a second. What is making you worthy of the attention of someone else in your life right now? How is the world a better place right now because you exist in it? Think about that. What, what is making this church a better church because you are here? How are you making this a place where God can deposit people? 
What if God is thinking right now, I've got, I've got 10 guys, you know, right in the heart of central Evansville that I want to deposit at some church that's going to lead them to me, that's going to love them, that's going to be gracious, that's going to be kind. I don't want to do it. I'm going to put them in crossroads. What is making God feel that way? What is making that a reality that this church is a place where God can deposit his people? How about this? What's making your neighborhood a better neighborhood because you are in it? Are you absolutely or purposely building relationships with your neighbors in order to lead them to Christ in crossroads? Oh, one of the things that was kind of slow in me making a decision to come here was that I wanted to be able to turn my organization over to somebody that was comparable. Well, I'm turning it over to a guy named Joe Mondohano. You can't spell that. Do not even try. Joe Mondohano. Well, let me tell you about Joe. Joe has been with me for four years. When I started this institution, about five years ago, I got to lead Joe to Christ. But I met him about 10 or 11 years ago. His sons started playing with my son. We started taking his sons on, you know, when we would go sledding or skiing or on vacation or anywhere, we would take his kids with our kids. And we would then invite Joe and his wife Lisa over to dinner and we would try to talk to them about God. We would talk to them about mission trips and they would literally say to us, I'm not making this up. I'm going to clean it up but not make it up. They said, we don't want you to talk about that God garbage with us. We love you and we love your family. We don't want to hear anything about God. Well, about five years ago, I was golfing with Joe and I just looked at him and I said, Joe, if Jesus comes back, man, I'm going to be really sad if you don't go with me. And the very next time I met up with Joe, he said, man, you need to tell me what I have to do to accept Christ as my Savior. And I got to baptize him, his wife, and the two kids. And now he's at a point, (laughs) praise God. Now he's at a point where he is taking over the organization. He is a better discipler than I have ever been. I mean, he will get with kids and turn their lives around. I mean, just just kids who are just now... They're out leading people to Christ. And he, and when I, when, listen, when I started working with him, like I said, Joe, you need to meet with just a small crew. I'm not, I can't, no, more than two people, I can't talk to him. Now he talks to crowds. Joe, you need to start discipling. Rick, I'm not you. I don't know how to do that. He has so far surpassed me. But I, my wife and I purposely built relationships with his kids in order to lead him and them to Christ. Are you and I crashing and impacting into the lives of people around us? Because isn't that what Jesus was always doing? I mean, he hung out with everybody from from IRS agents to prostitutes. The Bible calls them notorious sinners. Is there some group or some individual in your neighborhood that you you just can't get off your mind? I mean, maybe you drive past that, that, that kid and you know he's strung out. You know he's on heroin. You know whatever. Maybe it's some neighbor next door. But God, the Holy Spirit is just pushing you. To share the love of Jesus with them. Well, I've asked you if you're significant. I've asked you if you're important. I want to ask this question just one other way. Because the answer to this question will not only determine how significant you are, but how significant you can become. Here it is. Are you dying to serve? Are are you just dying to serve? Now you might say, wait, what? what? That's a paradigm shift. You asked me if I wanted to lead. You asked me if I was leading and living. Now you're asking me to serve. I submit to you that according to God's word, significance, greatness, and serving are exactly the same thing. Let me say that again. I submit to you that according to God's word, significance, greatness, and serving are exactly the same thing. 
I think often some of us, including me, would better be defined as living to be served rather than dying to serve. Why in the world did anyone get excited about serving? I mean, honestly, I'm the guy, if you spill your drink next to me, I'm going to go, well, that, that stinks, but I'm probably not going to get a napkin. You know what I'm saying? I'm Now my wife, she's got the gift of service, and yet I am called to serve in the world around me. I want to be known as a great leader living to lead. I want people to think I'm very significant. I like the title great leader a lot more than great servant. But in all honesty, I can say that the more I get to know Jesus, the more I start digging into his word, the more I get excited about being a servant. And here's why. Because that is the only place that I can be seen as being significant. And I want to be significant. The more I study God's word, the more I study this incredible God who became this incredible man... The more I'm willing to tattoo my life with the term dying to serve. The more I get to know him, the more noteworthy I want to become. Remember Proverbs 22, choose a good reputation over great riches. That's significance. Being held in high esteem is better than silver and gold. So are you and I living and leading the world around us? Is it a better place? Because we're here. Now, perhaps by now you're thinking, I, I, I want to be significant, Rick. I, I, I want to. I, I'd like to have a great name. But how? How do I do that? I, I know I'm valuable to God, but how do I become significant to God and the world around me? Well, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus defines for the disciples and for us exactly what it means to be significant. To be great. And I want you to know that it comes, it comes as he is about to face the most tragic moment of his life. My computer is going nuts. No. Okay. Um, there we go. In Mark chapter 10, this happens as he's about to, when he's literally walking towards Jerusalem, he's walking to his death. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. They were now on the way up to Jerusalem. Jesus, the disciples, his followers, and Jesus is walking ahead of them. The disciples, I love this line. The disciples were filled with awe and the people following him behind were overwhelmed with fear. Jesus was just a rock star. I mean, the disciples, they had known him. They had known he had poured in love. They'd known he was a great God. So they're walking behind him going, you know, they're walking with him going, man, he is so incredible. He raises people from the dead. He walks on water. He's my God. The other people were going, I'm scared to death. He walks on water. He raises people from the dead, but I don't know him very well. They were terrified. Taking the 12 aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said. We're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, whip him, flog him with a whip, kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. And Jesus had become fully man, and he wasn't looking forward to all of that. Betrayal, mocking. Somebody, if anybody's ever spit in your face publicly, it is the most humiliating thing in the world he's going to be beaten he's going to be killed he wasn't looking forward to that in fact right before his arrest the bible tells us that he got alone and prayed so passionately before his arrest that he literally sweat blood 
Luke chapter 22, verse 44, he prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of the spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. I looked this condition up. It is, I'm going to butcher the name, but it is a condition known as, known as hematidrosis. It can happen under extreme moments of duress when the capillaries in your forehead begin to rupture. When you are such stress, such duress that you literally will begin to sweat blood. Jesus is sharing his heart with the disciples, and you might expect a little compassion. He, he's been with them for over three years. He's poured out his love and attention on them and everyone around them. Have you ever poured your heart, your life, years into somebody only to have them betray you? Only to not only have them not love you back and not give back, but to almost turn their back. Well, Jesus has given them everything. Now he's bearing his human heart a little, and perhaps some love and support would have been great. But look at the next verse in Mark chapter 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What's your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on the right and one on the left. I mean, yeah, yeah, too bad about that whole dying thing. But do you think you could do us a great favor after you're dead? Can you make us really great can you make us significant? Well, there is not a lot of other-centered caring there, is there? Recently, I went skeet shooting with my daughter and my son, and on the drive home, a somewhat heated argument broke out between them as to who was going to get my wedding ring. I mean, it got kind of ugly, because I'm like, well, my daughter's like, well, I'm getting the ring. And I said, well, you know, honey, Josh is the guy, and my daughter is, you know, high A, you know, oh, everything's, and my, my son is real low key, and he's like, Katie, I'm getting the ring because I'm a man, and it's a man's ring, and my daughter's like, no, you're not, and I mean, I had to at one point go, hey, guys, daddy's not dead yet. <laughs> you know, the point is that the, that the disciples were so much like many Christians today. We come to be fed not to feed whenever somebody walks up to me and says i'm leaving this church or that church because i'm not being fed i say wow well you must be so full then that you're feeding tons of people who are you feeding we come here and have our needs met not to meet the needs of others a kind of make this my church not their church mentality which keeps God from being able to say, hey, see these 10 guys in the center of Evansville? I'm going to drop them in your church. No, that's, oh, that's not their church. It's my church. Man, Jesus came to die. He came to give, never to take. He wasn't looking for what the church or the world could give him. He was looking for what he could give everyone else around him. And you know what? He was an awesome neighbor. An amazing neighbor. If you were hungry, he'd make you fish and bread. If mom was sick, he was going to come over and do his best to heal her. He cared so much about my needs that it literally led him to his death. And the world was a better place because he was in it. Wouldn't you agree to that? This is real Christianity. This is real stuff. This is digging in the Bible. And you know what this does away with? Me. Me. I, I, I want to serve. I want to give. I want to feed. And you know what? I don't want to expect anything back. 
nothing. Read a book called Fathered by God. And, and I can't remember the title of what the last, it was Sage. Sage was the great book, man. I, I wholeheartedly endorse it. Fathered by God. And the sage is when a man comes to a point in his life where he doesn't want anything from anybody. He just wants to give what he's got. Teach what he's been taught. I want to be that. I don't want anything. Is the world a better place because I'm in it? Will this be a better church? Am I living up to my full potential as a leader in God's kingdom? You know what? James and John weren't the only self-centered guys in Christ's little mini church. Mark chapter 10, verse 41. When the other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Now, at first you might glance, you might think, yeah, man, they were mad. You shouldn't talk to Jesus like that. You should have compassion. That's not why they were mad. Remember about that at the Last Supper, the disciples were talking about which disciple was the most important. They weren't mad because they felt sorry for Jesus, but they were mad because they wanted those positions of great honor. In the wake of Christ's death, it was a free-for-all for power. They not only wanted to be significant, they wanted to be the most significant. Jesus calls them together. It says in verse 42, so Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lorded over their people. I'm in charge. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Jesus gathers the team for a teachable moment. I love that Jesus didn't say it should be different. He said, among you, it will be different. He knew that these were men who would eventually give their lives because they would become significant. They would literally die serving. He's about to give these young men the formula for being a leader. He told them, and he is telling us how to be truly significant and great. He calls them together and says, man, okay, James, John, you want to be number one, number two? Guys, you want to be the the, the most powerful person? I'm going to give you the formula for that. It's so simple. See if you can pick it up. This is what Jesus says to him. It's, It's so converse to the world. Mark chapter 10, whoever wants to be a leader among you, must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else you want to be highly thought of in this church you want to be number one you want to rise to the top in leadership then become a slave to everyone else for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many did you see it He literally lists out a simplistic but brilliant plan to becoming a leader who is held in high esteem. To make the world a better place because you're in it. Number one, if you want to be significant, you have to be a servant. Whoever wants to be leader among you must be your servant. So the question begs, where are you serving? Because in Christ's formula for significance and leadership, you have to be serving. Are you volunteering with the children? Are there junior high kids who know your name and even think you're cool? Because you're investing time in their lives? I mean, your other, your other sons and daughters are like, wait, they think you're cool, Dad? I've seen you dancing through the house in your underwear. There is no way anybody thinks you're cool. But there's a group that thinks you're cool because, man, you love them. You're pouring into them. Are you taking to the streets with signs because your needs aren't being met? Now, I'm telling you, folks, if sometimes I feel like if we think we need something else... It's because we've got too much. 
I think God has blessed us here in this country so much that we have to manufacture things to whine about. I was at Disneyland, Disney World with my buddy and his, and his son and his daughter and his wife. And his son was eight years old. And, and he, would, he, he would like, he would get anything he wanted. They're, they're a wealthy couple, a generous couple, great couple. But he would go into the pin store to get a Disney pin. And they wouldn't have that pin. He would go, I want that pin. And his dad would say, I'll buy you two pins. And then when we find the pin at another store, I'll buy you that one. Okay. And then he would go, I want that hat. And he would start creaming, creaming and crying. And they would buy him that hat. And finally, I could have it no more. You're never, ever, ever, ever supposed to question the way people raise children. I know that. I know that. But I always break boundaries. That is what I do. So I said to him, I said, man, I looked at this little eight-year-old. I go, you know what your problem is? Eyes got real big. No, what? I said, you have so much that you can't enjoy it because you're always looking for what you can get next. I got a hat, but I can't have this hat because if I enjoy this hat, I might miss whining for a shirt. And if I get the shirt, I don't get that. And I think that's how we are. I think we just want, 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 want. We're manufacturing our own needs that need to be met. Don't take to a sign, to the street with a sign, lead people to Jesus so their situation will get better. Are you spending time in shelters, feeding the homeless? Is there a group that meets in your house every day to be cared for and loved on? Is there some small group? Are you involved in that and leading other people to Christ? Are you open and inviting? Are, are your neighbors thankful that you live on the same block because you have shown the love of Christ to them at every single opportunity. Who are you discipling? Who are you meeting up with at coffee once a week to pour God's word into? Because according to Christ's formula, the only way that you can be a leader and therefore significant is to be serving somewhere, somehow, some way, someone. The girl at the coffee shop who couldn't come up with the answer. Remember that I'm a daughter of the king. As she was leaving, her friend said, hey, are you heading down to foster care to talk about taking in more children? I thought, you are significant. You are leading. What about if you want to be number one, man? If you want to be very significant, first, you have to be a slave. The word that Jesus used here is doulos, one who is in permanent relation of servitude to one another. Permanent relation of serving, his or her will being altogether consumed in the will of the other. I love you so much, I serve you so much that my will is consumed by your will. My needs are never first. These are the, I think these guys are the missionaries, local, local and far away. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. These guys and girls, these are the guys and girls who walk the streets and give it all up for Jesus. I, I, I went to, I was in Hata del Yaqui in the Dominican Republic a few years back when I met this young lady from Iowa named Jen. She was a tiny, skinny little girl from the Midwest. I watched, I stood behind Janice, we're walking up and down the streets, and I watched her walking up and down the dirt roads of that village. And I, and, and I mean, guys, this village was literally like a CNN special. It was a horrific place. 
And I watched her walking up and down the streets and I watched children come running up to her and they were snotty and dirty and filthy and she would pick them up and hug them and kiss them on top of the head. These weren't freshly showered Sunday school kids. You know what made her so significant is the way she made them feel so significant. She loved them the way Jesus loved them. And I literally remember walking behind her guys and thinking, she looks just like Jesus. She looks, I was just over, she looks just like Jesus. I could picture Jesus walking down the streets and picking up children and hugging and loving on them, just filthy people. She didn't notice. I thought, you know, she can't drive home at the end of every evening she lives there. My plane was leaving in a few days and hers did not leave for years. She couldn't meet up with her family at Starbucks at the end of a hectic day. There was no Starbucks in Hatta, and her parents lived in the States. Jen was altogether consumed with the needs of those people in that village. She was a willing slave for Christ and extremely significant. I mean, she was so valuable to those people. You, there's nothing you could give that would make you as valuable as she was to them. Is God calling you to be first in leadership? Is he calling you to be a slave? I think of my old friend, Mark McKinney, who used to be the executive pastor at Discovery. He, he and his wife have adopted four children from three different countries and purposely um, adopted two kids from the Dominican Republic that were special needs kids. Mark and his wife, Michelle, now live in Vegas, but once a month he has to drive the four, depending on traffic, to six hours to a hospital in LA to meet the needs of his son. But God called he and Michelle to be incredible leaders and therefore they became slaves altogether consumed. Is there some God-given passion that just enslaves you? Well, what if you want to be the greatest leader of all? Uh, Rick, I don't want to just be a leader. In fact, I don't even want to be first amongst here. I want to be the greatest leader of all. Well, look what Jesus said. If you want to be the greatest leader of all, you have to be willing to die to you to die. And live for others. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew he was going to have to die for us when he came. He was literally born to die. If you are dying to serve, you will live to lead. And if you are living to lead, then you will be dying to serve. Have you ever loved someone or some group so much that you die for them? I mean, you just are consumed. You're just like, I would die on a cross for you. You know, sometimes when I'm standing in front of that group in California, I love those kids so much. And I literally think, God, I would die for them. Well, Paul took that a step further. Look what Paul said in Romans chapter 9. He starts out with this, with Christ as my witness, I speak with truthfulness. He's like, what I'm about to say is so mind-blowing, I need you to know that God's going to back me up on it. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Unbelievable. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ if that would save them. Paul said, I love my people so much that I would die and go to hell for them if that meant they could go to heaven. You know, when I read that verse, I thought, you know what the beautiful thing is? Jesus Christ already died on a cross, a painful death. He already did that for us. You ever just love somebody, some crew, some group so much that you would die for them. 
What has Christ called you to do? What, what is your niche in Evansville or Newburgh or wherever you live or on your block? Figure that out and don't let anything stop you from accomplishing it. I remember Joe Mondohano saying, I, I can't lead a small group. I can't talk in front of people. I, I, I can't do discipleship. Don't worry about why you can't. Just tell God that you will. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples, among you, it will be different. Not it might, it will be different. Is the world a better place because you're in it? Will this be a better church because I'm here? Are you and I living up to our full potential as leaders in God's kingdom? Because the greatest, greatest, most significant leader is the greatest servant. Live, live to lead. Father, we love you and worship you and praise you. God, we humbly submit ourselves to you, our neighborhoods to you, our workplaces, our schools, our church. Make this a place, make our homes a place where you can deposit people. I want to be a sage. I don't want anything from anyone, God. I don't want anything from anyone. I simply want to give. Father, help us to be that people. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.